This morning, though, I want to continue this conversation in uh, this series called Jesus in Between. And as Aiden said, uh, we simply are doing this series for this reason. A lot of people know the big stories of Jesus. They know the holiday version of Jesus, right? Jesus, Christmas Jesus, Jesus, Easter Jesus. And yet what we've said is there's a whole lot of Jesus in between. And so this series is solely our attempt to say, well, what was up with Jesus in between Christmas and Easter? Because there's a lot of important things for us to know about the Jesus in between. And so as you've been in this series and as you follow along, if you haven't been here, you can go check it out. We said this, and I want you to hear me say this. Jesus, you ready? Jesus never lets us be neutral about him. Like like he never allows us to be neutral. He, he says, either I am who I said I was or I'm not. Jesus never allows us to be neutral. So we've been diving in, well, who did Jesus say he was? Who was Jesus really? And we said this, Jesus said unequivocally, I am fully God, fully man. And as fully God, fully man, he is full of grace and he's full of truth. And so as we've explored Jesus, we kind of dug in and we saw Jesus went through testing like us. Not only that, we saw Jesus was, was somebody who loved sinners. We saw Jesus was this incredible teacher, this incredible preacher who taught us how to love our enemies, who taught us what it really means to be great. This morning, what I want to look at, so some of you are like, I could have guessed that. Jesus was an incredible preacher, right? Some of you are like, I could have guessed that. But what I want you to know this morning, here's where I want to go this morning. Jesus, this Jesus in between, Jesus was a master storyteller. Jesus was a, not just an incredible preacher, but Jesus had this knack for telling stories. Don't you love a good story? Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, we love a good story. From the time we're little on, we love good stories, right? When you're little, you like stories that begin once upon a time, right? We love stories. And so we love stories. Why? Because stories are memorable. Stories kind of paint in color a principle that's in black and white. They sometimes teach a lesson. There's something that, that puts color on a situation. And so when you're a kid, you love stories. In fact, chances are you remember some of the stories that somebody told you when you were a kid. Like stories like the tortoise and the Yeah, you've heard the story, right? Or the little boy who cried, you must have heard the story, right? And then there's something when that story is told by somebody who's really good at telling a story, right? Some people are really, 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 really good at telling a story. Jesus was a master at telling stories. And so when you get into the Bible, these stories Jesus told, okay, they're they're, they're things called parables. So some of you have heard that word, right? parables. In fact, when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus told over 40 stories or parables. And that word parable sounds like a church word or, or sounds like a Bible word, but here's all that word means. And it's important that you hear what I'm going to say. A parable simply is this. Parable, the word parable, is us taking a Greek word and trying to say it like it would sound in English. Okay? And so parable is just taking a Greek word, which is parabole, and, and, and here's what it means. Literally that word, parabole in Greek, you can forget that, means to lay alongside. That's what it means. And so what a parable is, is Jesus told these little stories, you ready? So that he could lay them alongside of really big ideas he wanted us to get a hold of. 
Jesus told little stories about things that were familiar so that he could lay them alongside of things that weren't so familiar. Jesus told little stories about physical things that we understand to help illustrate or give color to spiritual things that really, really matter. And so he told somewhere near over 40 of these little stories with really, really big ideas. So all I wanna do today for a few brief moments for a few brief moments, I want to look at one of those stories. And so I could have chose out of 40, right? I mean, there's like 40 different stories we could have chose. But the one that I chose, now everybody look here a second, because I just want to be right up front with you. I want to talk to you about something today that, that, that's not that sexy to talk about. Like, it's like, wow, it's like, man, that's just a gripping need. And yet it's something all of us in the room need to hear. And this story that Jesus tells, you ready, is going to serve as an MRI for our heart. Or let me say it this way. This story that Jesus tells is going to serve as a PET scan for our soul. Now, some of you are saying, what in the world's a PET scan? And I would have been saying that 10 years ago. I had no idea what a PET scan was. But in 2007, some of you know this, some of you knew or you wouldn't know this. In 2007, my mom went through a terrible time physically. My mom had these obvious things that were going on that you could see. It was terrible. It was awful. We would rush her to the emergency room because of what we were seeing going on in her body. I mean, it was awful. And so every time it would show up, we'd rush her to the hospital. And we kind of walked a journey with my mom through these traumatic, awful symptoms that she was having for about two years. After two years in 2009, my mom is a walking miracle. I've said that before. My mom, she should, I mean, literally, we almost lost her several times. She's a walking miracle. In 2009, my mom received a liver transplant. My, my mom is a liver transplant survivor. She's alive to this day. Well, what's interesting to me is this, is that every time she would get sick, it was so obvious, we'd rush her to the hospital. And my dad was heroic during that time. I watched my dad during those two years just by her side, nursing her. He never left her side, took her to every appointment. He was so attentive. I watched my dad as he thought we might lose her, and then she came back, and then walking with her through all the questions. I watched my dad heroically walk through this time, all the way through this transplant. Ironically, ironically, almost one year to the day, Almost one year to the day of when she got her liver transplant, I was in Indiana and I was visiting with my mom and dad and my dad began to tell me about this little irritation that he had in his rib. Now my dad, I don't know how you are, my dad was the, the king of home remedies. Anybody like that in here? King, like, hey dad, what's wrong? I got this problem in my rib. Like, what are you doing about it? I'll put a mustard pack on it, drink some turnip juice and we'll be all right, right? Like that? And so my dad was the king of that. And I'm like, dad, you know, is it going away? Is it getting any better? No, it's just kind of oh, right there. I said, dad, let's go see the doctor. He said, I don't want to go see the doctor. I said, I think we ought to see the doctor, right? And so I went with him to see the doctor. And when we sat in the doctor's office and he's describing it. And so like, I don't know, doc, is this a little, I think it might be a bruised rib, maybe a cracked rib, I don't know. And began talking about all these symptoms. And the doctor's like, I don't know, it could be this, it could be that. And the doctor said this, I'll never forget it. She said, you know, John, I think we ought to send you for a PET scan. So what's a PET scan? It's like this deep x-ray of your body. So we can see exactly everything going on. And my dad said, listen close, I'm gonna come in 
to play later. My dad said, that's overkill. That's overkill. I got this little irritation with my rib. Why do you want to send me for a PET scan? And my dad said, I don't think I need to go for a PET scan. And I never did this, but I did this this day. I said, I think he wants the PET scan. I spoke up and said, I think my dad wants the PET scan. My dad looked at me and said, I do? Yeah, you do, right? And so the doctor ordered a PET scan. And when the results came back, they were startling. Because when the results of the PET scan came back, this little irritation he had in his rib showed us this. That the whole time my dad was walking my mom through these very visible signs of her sickness, that whole time growing inside of him was something that was not as visible and as easy to detect. And what she was able to tell us is that my dad had cancer that had metastasized through his whole body. And I watched as my dad from that moment on, this cancer that was an irritation that was undetected, all of a sudden... It metastasized. It began to choke the life out of him. It began to rob him of his freedom. He couldn't drive. Eventually, he couldn't walk. And then he couldn't think well on his own until eventually it killed him. You see, Jesus wants to tell a story that we could dismiss today. In fact, I'm fearful that some of you will. We could dismiss it, and yet what he wants to do in this story is somehow give a PET scan to our soul because there is something potentially growing in us that maybe right now is metastasizing in us. Maybe it's choking the life out of us. Maybe it's robbing us of freedom. Maybe it is something that is diluting our thinking. And the sickness he wants to talk to us about this morning, are you ready, is greed. Now, now, everybody look here a second, because some of you are like, well, that ain't me. And if that's the first thing that came in your brain, if that's the first thing that came into your brain, can I encourage you to lean in for the next 30 minutes? Because the chances are very high, very high that you need to hear what Jesus has to say. Because the chances might be very high that there is something growing in you, much like a cancer. And so this story Jesus tells begins in Luke chapter 12, verse 1. And it begins with a context. I want you to follow me there. Here's what it says. Luke 12, 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands, get the picture. There's not just hundreds of people. There's thousands of people gathered. There's so many that they're trampling on one another. Love it, right? Jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Look here a second. I want to give you the context and then we're going to dive in. He's got thousands of people and he begins to address his disciples and then he begins to teach a lesson. He begins to preach a sermon. Here's the picture. Jesus is preaching, he's preaching his heart out. He's preaching his guts out. And he's talking to them about, be careful of your religious leaders and their hypocrisy, is what he says. And then he begins to say, here's what it means to follow me. And then he looks at those who are followers of him. He says, listen, I want to tell you, you might be called in to answer for following me. And when you are, I'll give you the words to speak. Jesus is preaching a very serious sermon. He's teaching a very serious lesson. There is not in his sermon, in his lesson, a lot of comic relief. He is pouring his heart out. 
He's laying it out. He's talking about some very serious things that he wants them to hear, which makes all the more interesting when he gets done. In verse 13, I think it is. Look at what happens. After Jesus pours his heart out, someone in the crowd says to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Can you feel how that lands? Jesus just poured his heart out. He said, this is what it means. Be careful. And I want you to know that sometimes this could be hard following me. And the spirit of God is going to help you when that time comes. And so he pours his heart out. I mean, he's literally just poured his insides out. And then this guy says, hey, teacher, can you tell my brother to share the inheritance? I mean, that's kind of like a preacher standing here just preaching his guts out. Just, just preaching his heart out, just talking about some serious stuff, standing at the door and somebody saying, hey, pastor, the air was too cold today. The lights were too dim. The music too loud, right? Amen? Never, that would never happen here. Can I get an amen on that? That would never happen here, but I've heard it might happen somewhere, right? Like, go ahead and let that, like, let you uncomfortable. It's like, this guy goes out and it's like, you said what? And I think what's going on here is in the ancient world, the father owned everything. The, the sons would have had nothing. And when the father died, the, the oldest boy got a double portion. I got a feeling this might be the youngest saying, hey, I don't like the way that works. Like, like I kind of like a 50-50 split. Whatever's happening, this boy saying to Jesus, I want you to tell my brother to give me what I have coming to me. Look at Jesus' response, verse 14. Jesus looks at him and says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Jesus isn't going to be the judge of this situation. This is a different sermon, different sermon. But, but Jesus always lived with a sense of purpose. This is worth writing down somewhere. He always lived with a sense of purpose, and that sense of purpose is what drove his priorities. That's a different sermon. We'll preach that sometime. But Jesus then, verse 15, said, but I do have something to say. Look at this. Jesus said, verse 15, watch out. Like it's emphatic. He's like, be careful. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Everybody look here. Jesus in this, I need you to look here a second. Okay. Jesus is emphatic right here in a way he's not in other places. And, and you begin to say, why is Jesus like, watch out? That's kind of what he's doing. Be careful. Why is he doing that when he says, be, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of grief? Why would, like, it's like, wow, there's a lot of other really big sins, right? Like, there's a, there's a lot of other really big struggles. Why, why would he do that? And I think the reason he would do that is, is simply this. I think the reason he would say, watch out, is because greed is something that's not so obvious. When you think about it, when you think about it, most of the things we struggle with are pretty obvious, right? People know when they're sinning, Amen. Like most people know when they're lying, right? Most people know when they're killing somebody. I hope nobody in here has, but no, most people know, right? Most people know when they're committing adultery. Most people know when they're struggling with sin. And yet, everybody look here, I want to tell you something. I've been a pastor 26 years. I'm going to tell you something. I have people come and talk to me, all kinds of struggles, addictions, sin, things they're dealing with. 26 years, no lie, I cannot think of one time 
Not one time, not one single solitary conversation where somebody's come in, shut the door and say, Pastor Dan, can you help me? I'm really struggling with greed. I think that's the point. Most of us, we know when we're struggling with these other things, it's kind of like my mom being rushed to the ER. I've got issues. But when it's greed, I think Jesus is like, listen, greed's tricky. It's subtle. And many times it goes unnoticed. And, and when it goes unnoticed, it begins to metastasize because we minimize it and it spreads and it begins to choke the life out of you. And you know what's interesting and strange about greed? Okay. What's strange about greed is this, is that it's easier, you ready? It's easier to spot in somebody else than it is in me. Amen? If you can't say amen, say ouch on that one, right? It is. In fact, I'll prove it to you. Some of you guys love sports, right? And so you love watching what's going on, this free agency and all that. And, and you watch this, I've done it. And, and it's crazy. Can we just say it's crazy now, the sports world? It's just kind of crazy. Like, like this guy's not gonna play for 34 million a year because that's not enough. I need 38 million. It's like, I wanna raise, I'll play for 34 million, you know? It's like, it's crazy. And we watch it like, man, those guys are so greedy, right? And it's so easy to spot in them. Or maybe it's easy to spot in others. Some of you are thinking right now, I wish so-and-so was here. This would be a great message for them. But it's much harder to spot in us. And I think that's why Jesus is saying, I want you to watch out. I want you to be suspicious. I want you to ask the right questions. I want you to do the regular checkups. And it's why he tells us a little story because he wants us to answer this question. I want you to write it down. Am I, everybody write it down. Am I sick with greed? Am I, am I, not is the guy beside me, not are they, am I sick with greed? Because greed comes in a variety of forms and the sickness of greed infects a lot of people and greed is simply a spiritual sickness that's caused by the love and the lure for more. more. Greed is me being preoccupied with what I have and how I can keep it and get more of it or preoccupied with what I don't have. Key word being preoccupied, which leads Jesus to tell this story in verse 16, Luke 12. Verse 16, Luke 12, here's what it says. And he, that's Jesus, told them this parable. We already know what that is. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Don't forget that. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I'll store my surplus grain. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you'll get what you've prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Jesus tells this story, and the purpose of telling this story is so that they'll watch out, be able to detect greed in their life. And I think in this story, there's six, you ready? Six exposing questions that I need to ask myself to see if I'm sick with greed. I want you to write them down. First is this. I need to ask myself first and foremost, do I have an ego? Do I have an ego about my earnings? Do I have an ego about my earnings? You're saying, Dan, help me understand that. Well, all it means to have an ego is that somehow I think it's all about me. 
That's what it means to have an ego. And when you read the story about the rich fool, here's what's going on. Don't miss this in the story. This rich fool, he has an abundant harvest. He has a bumper crop. But what does the story tell us? The story says the ground yielded him an abundant crop, doesn't it? But when the guy's talking to himself, what does he do? He says, I have accomplished this. I've done this. I've earned this. All of a sudden, he begins to talk about what he's done, what he's accomplished, and there is no recognition, mention of God in any of it. Everybody listen. When it comes to greed, I think what Jesus wants us to know is this. Everybody listening. Our cash can make us really cocky. Our income can make us arrogant. One of the things it can do, okay, different sermon, it can make us think, because we're maybe making a good income, and some of you may, it can make us think, well, obviously it's because I work harder than other people. And that's not always true. I can take you to people in Africa who probably work harder than you that make a ton less than you. Or we think, well, obviously it's because I'm smarter. Obviously it's because I deserve it. And what happens is I begin to think it's because I earned it. I deserve it. I, 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 I. And what happens when all of a sudden I begin to think it's mine. I earned it. I deserve it. I'm going to spend it however I want. I buy into a lie. Listen close. I buy into the lie of financial independence. You see, financial independence says it's all about I earned it, I deserve it, now I'm free to use it, spend it however I want. And the lie or the mirage of financial independence, you ready? Is exactly why, everybody look here a second, I'm just going to say it and look at you when I say it. Is exactly why in our country the topic of money is the number one most hated topic to be talked about in church. Number one. And you know why that is? It's because I don't want somebody telling me what to do with my, what? Money. You see how that works? It's like we buy this this lie of financial independence, and yet Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell. It's almost like he knew something he wanted to let us in on. And so the first question I have to ask myself is, is, do I have an ego about my earnings? But there's a second question. I want you to write this down. I need to ask myself, I need to ask myself, do I fret over my finances? Do I fret over my finances? If you look at verse 17, this guy's asking himself some questions. He's like, okay, I got all this money. What shall I do? I have no place to store everything. Here's, here's what I think is going on here. Worry and anxiety about what I have is a sign of greed. By the way, ready, ready? Worry and anxiety about what I don't have is a sign of greed. It is not just a wealthy person issue, right? You see, all of a sudden, worry and anxiety begin to tell me something. Now, now here's what I want you to hear me say. When I worry, I reveal, you ready? 
I reveal what I worship. I want you to write it, write it down this way. Write it down somewhere on your notes. What I worry about may be telling me what it is that I worship. And the reason I say that is simply this. Because of a phrase Jesus uses. I can usually look at what I'm worried about and find out what my heart is set on. Look back at Luke 12. We're going to look at 22. Luke 12, verse 22. I want you to do the hard work and look at this with me. Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. And then jump down to verse 29. And do not set your heart upon what you'll eat or drink. Do not worry about it. The pagan world runs after such things. And your father knows that you need them. Here's the point. What I worry about begins to reveal what I become preoccupied with or what it is that I worship. And so when I fret over my finances, whether it's what am I going to do about all that I have or about what it is that I don't have, it begins to reveal what it is that I'm preoccupied or my heart is set on. Let me talk to all the parents in the room. If you're a parent in the room, I want you to look this way. Because it begs a very revealing question for us as parents. And I feel... I, I feel like the opportunity to say this because I am a parent and I'm in a certain stage of being a parent that I think this is a question that we as parents need to ask. You ready? Okay. But I need to ask myself this as a parent. You ready? This, this is so important. Am I more worried? Am I more worried about the job that my kid's going to have and if they'll make a lot of money, am I more worried about that or am I more worried about their relationship with Jesus and whether or not they'll love God? I know what you're thinking, some of you. Like, preach your talk. I got it. But if I could transport conversations that I've had in my office, if I, if I could just transport them right out here with parents who... All, they, they focused on making sure their kid got every advantage so that they got the career and made a lot of money so that like, wow, they're, they're set. Or, or, or that they made sure they got all these skills and, and at the expense of nurturing in them a relationship with Jesus. Just had a conversation recently. And, and this dad looked at me and he said, I feel like I focus so much attention on that that I totally didn't focus on the one thing I wish they had right now, and that was a relationship with Jesus. This is me not picking. I'm looking at some of you. I see some of you got little, three little girls. They're moldable. They're teachable right now. And it can be so easy in our culture. I'm not preaching. I'm just talking. It can be so easy in our culture to say, well, you know what? What it means to be successful is they got to have a good job, and it's got to make, I want them to make more money than me and be better off than me. And it's like, And totally, totally, totally become preoccupied with the things that all kinds of people chase after at the expense of what really, really matters. And that's a relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying it's not important to make sure they, they, they have skill. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, am I more worried about that, preoccupied with that, whether it be the job they have? Hey, let's just be honest, okay? Since we're already meddling, let's just go there. I mean, I can become so preoccupied with making sure my kid has every advantage, every experience athletically. 
because they're going to be the next LeBron James or whatever, at the expense of, at the expense of what really matters and lasts. You see how that works? What I worry about, what I become anxious about, what I, what I chase begins to reveal what I worship. And so, so Jesus begins leaning into this. It's fascinating. And then he says this, verse 25, 26, he says, worry doesn't even work. Which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you can't do this very thing, why do you worry about the rest? He said, worry doesn't even work. Like, like you're worried about it, you're anxious about it, it doesn't even work. So I got to ask myself, do I fret about my finances? Do I have a, like an ego about my earnings? There's a third question. I want you to write this down. I need to ask myself where my security is. Is my security in my savings? Is my security in my savings? The fool in the story was secure in his savings. It was his way of controlling the uncontrollable. Now I've got everything. I've built more barns. And yet the one thing he didn't have control over was the length of his life. And look at what Jesus says in verse 24 and 26, uh, through 26. He says this, Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Jesus is saying, these birds, which are basically worthless. I mean, you ever seen a raven? They're kind of ugly, right? They're like rats with wings, right? And he's saying, I take care of them. How much more valuable are, are you than them? He's saying, Jesus is simply saying this, that our security isn't in our savings. It begs the question, how much is enough? Saving is not bad. Make, make sure I say that. Everybody say it out loud with me. Saving is not bad. Ready? Saving is not bad. You were terrible at that. Ready? Let's do it again. Saving is not bad. All right? So I don't want you tweeting it and Facebook it and Insta posting it and all that kind of stuff. Okay? Saving is not bad. Here's what I'm saying. When my security is in my savings, I'm leaning my ladder against the wrong wall. This guy thought he was the owner of his stuff, and what he found out was that his stuff owned him. It was interesting to me. I, uh, I enjoy just kind of talking to different people down there. We were in, in Florida at this guy's place, and they had a pool that was a common space for everybody to come. And so my wife and I would go down there because we'd read books down there and whatever. And, and, but we would look forward to meeting different people because everybody has a story, right? And this one lady's story stood out to me. Jen and I kind of became friends with her. And she was sharing, this is what she said to me. And I don't know why this stuck with me, it just did. But, but we're just asking her about her life. And, and this is what she said. She said, I got more, like normally people don't say this to you. Like, this isn't an intro, but she said, I got more money than I know what to do with. I said, I'd be happy to help you. No, I didn't say that. No, 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 I didn't. No. I wish I'd thought of that, but I didn't. Um, but uh, anyways, so we began just talking to her and, and like, well, tell us about it. She said, I could go anywhere in the world right now at the drop of a hat and money's not an issue. She said, I, I, I could travel the world over. She said, I got more money than I even know what to do with. And, and I'm sitting there, and can I just be honest with you? Can I just be honest for a second? Like, there was a little part in my heart that's like, that'd be kind of cool. Like, like, don't judge me. Some of you are looking like, oh, you're like, you would have been the same, right? It's like, like I thought, that'd be kind of cool. And then she said this. She said, I, I got more money than I know what to do with. And I said to her, well, do you travel? She said, no. She said, I'm lonelier than I ever dreamed I would ever be. And my heart just went, 
Like she had built up, she had barns full of stuff, and what really seemed to matter was the thing that she longed for the most. She said, I got all this money, but I don't got any relationships. You see, Jesus like, man, when greed's growing, it can begin to rob and steal and choke out. And so some people, they, they have their security in their savings. Can we just say this? There are other people who their security isn't in their savings. Their worth is in their spending. And it leads to a, another question. I got to ask myself, is my worth in my wallet? I got to ask myself, do I find my worth in my wallet? Can you flip that screen there, buddy? There we go. There we go. Is my worth in my wallet? We attribute power and prestige and beauty to sometimes what we drive to sometimes where we live, to sometimes what we wear, right? I mean, sometimes that's how we attribute value. We attribute beauty to what people wear. We attribute value to where they live. Guys, this is not like, it just is. We live in a culture and we learn it early, amen? Like, like, can, can any of you remember growing up in school and feeling like there's a certain pair of pants you had to have? I, I, I don't know what it was like. I grew up in the mountains, so this might not be. But where I grew up back in the day, it was like Lee blue jeans. Anybody ever wear those? Lee blue jeans? Like everybody had, like my mom, did, like we didn't shop those places, right? I remember back when I was a kid, everybody's buying these white shoes. Like it was black Converse. And then all of a sudden it was white Nikes. And I remember thinking, man, you got to have a pair of white Nikes, right? Like if you want to be important, you want to, like people would make fun of me because I had blue shoes. And I remember I said to my dad, I'm like, I got to have white Nike shoes. I, I just got to have them. Why? Well, because obviously they're making fun and I want to fit in. And you learn it early, right? And, and I said, dad, I got to have some white shoes. Now my dad's remedy to that was simply this, like hop in the car. We hopped in the car. We went to Murphy Mart. Raise your hand if you ever heard of Murphy Mart. Yeah, nobody's heard of Murphy Mart, right? Yeah, there's a reason you've never heard of Murphy Mart, right? Because Murphy Mart had a big bin of these unmatched shoes. And if you could find a pair that somewhat matched, you could have them for a dollar. And my dad said, find a pair of white shoes. And that was my white shoes. You see, we learn it early. My dad loved me, don't get me wrong, but I did find a pair. One was pure white, the other was kind of off yellow, and I put them together and wore those to school. That was my white Nikes, is what I wore to school. We learned this early, right? I was down in Florida, I, th- this is crazy to me, but, but we, you had a certain parking spot you had to pull into, and all these incredible big vehicles people were driving. And about five over from me was this huge, big, black, shiny truck that never moved. No one ever drove it. And it had covers for each of its tires. Each individual tire had a leather cover over it. And I thought to myself, that car gets treated better than some people do. You see, the the fact of the matter is we live in a culture where all of a sudden we begin to attribute worth to what we have, what we drive. And if we don't have enough cash to buy our worth, stay with me, we just dig in our wallet for a little card and charge it. And the problem becomes we don't know who really likes us for us anymore. You see, Jesus says this, consider verse 27, the wildflowers and how they grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of them. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? He says, I'm the one who is the tailor for the flowers of the field and the grass. And they're dressed better than the richest guy who ever lived. 
And then Jesus says something that I need you to buckle your seatbelt for because I think this next question is tough. Verse 29, he says, Don't set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things and your father knows that you need them. And it begs this question, and I want you to write it down. Because I need to understand if I'm sick with greed, and the question it begs is this, is my chase for more actually leaving me with less? You see, greed shows up when I'm always running for more, working for more, thinking about how to get more, and I realize that my chase for more actually costs me. You're saying, Dan, what are you talking about? That's the man or the woman who's chased for their career and somehow accumulating more wealth cost them their marriage. That's the mom or dad, stay with me, whose need for more cost them their influence with their children. That's the woman whose chase for more is so important to her that it will cause her to compromise her values. That's the guy whose need to accumulate is he's so preoccupied with it that he's willing to cut corners to do it. And it'll cost him his character. You ready? Ready? That's the person whose drive to have more will cause them to forfeit their devotion to God. You see, Jesus is saying this, the pagans, people who wouldn't even acknowledge God, run after such things. And in their chase for more, they're actually left with less. Which leads Jesus to say this, In verse 32, he said, Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So then he says, Here, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And it leads to the sixth question, and I want you to write it down. The sixth question to begin to determine if I'm sick with greed is, Am I free to give up what I have stored up? Am I free to give up what I have stored up? Am I free to dip into my savings for someone else or something else? Here's what happens. When I'm not free to give up what I have stored up, everybody look here a second. And I saw this. I I met a lot of people in Florida, right? And I saw this in conversations that I had. I'm not picking on them, but I saw this. All of a sudden, my life, my life becomes consumed with, you ready? My life becomes consumed with the purpose and passion of my life is protecting what I have. And I stop living. And I stop giving to help, to share. And all of a sudden, I realize that maybe, maybe I begin to lose purpose and maybe I begin to lose passion because there's this little thing growing inside of me called greed. In the story, Jesus tells, he says, life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. Greed's a sickness. That's what he's saying. He's like, watch out because some of you are like already dismissing me. He's like, Be careful! That's what he's saying. It might be metastasizing in you right now. And if it continues to metastasize, it might begin to choke out life and it might begin 
to rob you of freedom and it might begin to dilute your thinking and it might begin to destroy relationships. So he says, am I sick with greed? He tells the story, the guy's filthy rich and he builds bigger barns and then he dies. And it leads to a second question and then we're done. We're going to close up shop and be done. The second question I think is implied in verse 21. I want you to see it and then we're done. He said, this is how it'll be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. That's an interesting phrase. This is how it'll be for whoever stores up with greed but is not rich toward God. And the question it begs is this, am I rich towards God? Like it's a question that obviously Jesus implies in here. He's like, this seems to be really, really important. It seems to be the antidote to greed is to be rich towards God. And it's an interesting question. In fact, if I ask you, please don't answer out loud. But if I ask you this question, are you rich towards God? I'd be curious how you'd answer this morning. Because it seems to me that was really important to Jesus in this story. He's like, this is exactly what's going to happen for people who are just considering for themselves, storing up for themselves, and this, this little sickness of greed is growing in them and are not rich towards God. It seems to me to be a really, really important question. What does it mean to be rich towards God? And I think what it means is summed up in two questions. We're done. And I want you to write them down. I got to first and foremost answer this question. Have I been made rich by God? I will never be rich towards God until I've been made rich by God. You're saying, Dan, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is I'll never be rich towards God until I've experienced the radical experience of his grace. 2 Corinthians 8 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What's he talking about there? He's saying this, you ready? You will never be made spiritually rich by God. Everybody listen. You'll never be made spiritually rich by God until you realize how desperately spiritually bankrupt you are before him. You will never be made rich by God, spiritually speaking, until you realize how spiritually bankrupt you are. That's why salvation and the whole story of the gospel has lost its pop for some of us because we think we come to God and it's like we, we, we have things in our bank account, spiritually speaking, and yet what the Bible teaches is this, every last one of us come empty-handed, spiritually bankrupt, and yet the gospel is this, is that God is a king who became poor so that we could become rich, that at the cross, at the cross, God liquidated everything in order to purchase my salvation, so that I could be blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Can I ask you this? Don't answer too quick. Particularly if you grew up going to church, even this church, have you ever been made rich by God? You see, one of the ways that you can begin to tell that is when all of a sudden you begin talking about the gospel, you can barely contain yourself. You can barely contain yourself because you're like, I know what it's like to be bankrupt. And at the cross, he made me wealthy, spiritually speaking. You see, if somehow the gospel doesn't like, boom! I might want to ask myself, have I ever been made rich by God? I know, heavy, right? And then when I answer that question, i got to ask myself a second question. And the second question is this. Do I treasure 
what God treasures. Jesus said this in verse 34. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's what Jesus says. He says, the best way, the most clearest way for me to see what my heart treasures. You ready? You want to see what your heart treasures? Here's what he says. Follow your money. Now, everybody look here a second. Now, relax. The offering's been taken, and we're not taking another one, right? So you're like, are you that kind of church? No, we, we are not. In fact, y'all, incredibly generous givers. But, but, but here's the thing. So we're not going to take another offering. We're not that kind of church. In fact, I would say this. This is way more serious than that. Jesus is simply saying, I want you to look at your heart. And does your heart treasure what God treasures? In other words, I think Jesus is saying, do I recognize God as the provider of all that I have? I got to ask myself this question. Do I trust God to provide what I need? And do I listen to God to direct what I have? I got to ask myself, do I treasure God enough to give to him worshipfully? Am I willing to share what God's given to me with others? I got to ask myself, am I investing in things that will outlast me, that are eternal? Am I living on purpose with a purpose with what God has given to me? He's saying, why is this important? Last thing I'm going to say, and then we're going to close up. Verse 31, Luke 12. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. He's saying, seek first his kingdom, his plan, his agenda, his program. Why? Last thing I want you to write down. The reason is because my kingdom is coming to an end as we speak. His kingdom will last forever. Father, as Jesus tells this story, it kind of leans into us heavy. And Father, I pray that you would just run the scan, that you would run the MRI, that you would do the x-ray, I talk to people leaving first service, I know that it's, it's uncomfortable a little bit. So some of you are here in the quietness of this moment, just with our heads bowed in a space where you're thinking, I wonder what the PET scan shows you this morning. Are you sick with greed? Like, like have you bought into this ego, arrogance that leads to an independence? Are you worried and fretting about things that might be showing you what you're worshiping? Is your security in your savings or in your Savior? Where do you find your worth this morning? Trying to keep up with the people around you? Making sure you wear the right stuff, drive the right stuff? Can I ask you this, as you look at your life, are you chasing more and is it actually costing you and you end up with less? Some of your marriages may be on the rocks because I just got to have more, I got to make more, I got to, some of you losing relationship and influence with your kids, maybe your devotion to God, maybe your values, your character, I don't know. Are you willing to give up what you have stored up? Are you willing to have an open hand with God and say, hey, here I am. Can I ask you this? Have you ever been made rich by God? Literally, have you been made rich by God? Does the gospel and the story of the gospel, does it pop? Does it amaze you? Does it blow you away that you spiritually bankrupt were made rich by God, king of the universe?
God, I pray that in this room, for those who maybe have never been rich by you, never said yes to Jesus, that today would be that day. Even in a sermon about greed, that they say, yes, I believe Jesus died in my place for my sin. And today I'm saying, yes, I want to say yes to him the rest of my life as the Lord and leader of my life. And God, as we do that, our desire is that our heart would be set on what your heart is set on. We'd treasure what you treasure. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for a story that is revealing and helps us be able to detect something that could metastasize inside of us. Thank you for being real with us and honest with us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.